Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting professions. I'm here in the taproom with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi, John. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guests turned their passion for homebrewing into a dream of opening a craft beer brewery and sharing their creations with the public. A change in state law, which had restricted the direct sale of beer by breweries, allowed them to make that dream a reality. In March of 2018, they opened Two Tides Brewing Company in the artsy Starland District of Savannah, Georgia. Since then, they have garnered much local love and national attention for their beers and their artsy aesthetic. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Liz and James Massey. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show. So how did you guys come about meeting each other? Uh, Tinder. <laughs> we are uh, a Tinder success story. Really? We cut that out. We, we swiped <laughs> right. No, that's perfect. No, y'all. We'll take, make, make, something, make something up to layer it over that. Hey, we did meet at for our first little like get together at World of Beer. Okay. So, you know, we do say we met at, uh, at World of we Beer. We do. That's what we told our parents and stuff for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. We met at World of Beer. Um, it's not a lie. And I, I told James that I loved craft beer and that my favorite craft beer was Blue Moon. Oh, whoa. <laughs> oh, boy. So, this was 2014. Give her, a long time ago. Give her a break, yeah. you know, oh, it's come, fine. You know, I guess y'all will probably ask about that later, too. I don't, you know, I do not. James is the one who definitely introduced me to the craft beer scene um, after we, very shortly after we met when he was homebrewing and everything. But no, when we initially met, we, yeah, we met on Tinder. You know, world. We'll say we met at World of Beer. So there you go. That, so you really met by chance at yeah. World of Beer. That's where you yeah, really met by um, chance. Yeah. But yeah, we um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we um. That's anyway, amazing. I, yeah, I'm flustered. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, we're all um, uh, so, James, you were basically a home brewing accountant, kind of just like like I was back in the day. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it same same kind of deal like brewing. Brewing on well, I brewed on my stovetop, you know, and while I was still crunching numbers during the week. But Liz, like, what did you think about this hobby that he had? As far as uh, it was, I would say it was more than a hobby. Um, <laughs> I not enough to you know to scare me away right. or anything, but you know, I'd say like it was you know the more we started hanging out, you know, he had you know the kegerator in his house, you know, just <laughs> yes. with his beer on it. Yep. Uh, and it was, you know, I was in school full time. I worked full time while I was in school too. So when we did get to hang out on the weekends, like that's what we were doing was like, you know, watching football, or hanging out while he was brewing beer. So we had, you know, at least one day of the weekend, it was kind of, we are stuck at the house from this, you know, th- these hours to these hours. And we were, were like, James is brewing at that time. <laughs> um, it was pretty intense. You know, there was, he had, you know, I was the one who finally said, okay, we need to start writing all these recipes down right. versus just all these random, like little pieces of paper he had thrown all over the house with recipes on him so we like we got a notebook and i was like let's at least organize this a little (laughs) bit um so i kind of helped in that way i'll say um but man no it was intense like if i mean i'm sure you all know like if something if something went terribly wrong with the brew day you know it kind of ruined the afternoon or at least you know required a lot of intense reflection i would say for the rest of the day or there was you know times um (laughs) i'm gonna embarrass james saying this you know how ingredients are when you're homebrewing but you know like we like dropped the rose hips on the ground or something trying to run from the kitchen to adam you know in the brewing process so i had to run and get like rose hips was like a rose hip ipa shop yeah you know just how homebrews are you know i'm gonna you know have like a pumpkin marshmallow chocolate porter with you just like all those ingredients at one time so there was you know times stuff had spilled and i had to run to the homebrew shop um (laughs) It was, yeah, I would say more than a hobby. It was, we had a a little separate room in the back of one of our apartments where the washing machine was. And that's where we had our full like beer fridge where he put his little conical fermenter in there where we had, you know, all of our, you know, like the aging, like wild stuff. It was, um, it was a lot. So uh, yeah, just I guess just not enough to scare her away. Oh, that, that that's a good thing, <laughs> right? Right, it didn't scare her away. But Liz, you were a graduate of SCAD, uh, Savannah College of Art and Design. What were you doing for a living, like while James was working as an accountant? 
I worked for a web design firm. So I, my degree's in advertising. So I did, it was definitely an office job, everything from email marketing, web design, um, really exciting world of SEO, um, and then social media. So I had a few clients through that agency and it was a local company in Savannah. We had some um, clients all over the US, but it was just a standard nine to five job too. Nice, nice. So the homebrewing days, when did that kind of transition into a thought of opening your own space? Yeah, I mean, it, to me, I, I really don't think it was ever even an idea. I just, I liked cooking. I think that's what kind of got me into homebrewing. And it was just, to me, I never thought of it more of anything than a hobby. Um, and I don't think it was ever really a dream because of the restrictive laws in Georgia. Right. And I think it was 2017, 2016. We heard the laws were changing, and in talking with one of my buddies in town who runs, um, you know, a thirty barrel, five thousand barrel um, facility, um, that it can now be a much more small scale, fun operation as opposed as opposed to just a you know a Massive manufacturing brewery. plant. Right. Yeah, exactly. So that's what really kind of got the wheels turning, and at that point, we were just it's still extremely obsessed with craft beer, cool brands, and cool breweries. Um, so we just kind of, I guess, we made up our minds and went head first and thought it sounded like a more fun life than being a CPA, right? Um, but the plan <laughs> yeah. was to, yeah. yeah, yeah, the plan was to, to be part time forever. And I think that right. lasted, you know, we opened in March, March 17th. And I think I barely made it to April 15th before we uh, put in the, the resignation. And it wasn't much longer for Liz either. You know, we had intended to be part time both of us forever. Right. But the, the brand kind of, you know, took off from the beginning. Nice. For, very so, fortunate. Yeah. So you, you like to cook. So what's your specialty, man? Are you a barbecue guy? Being from Georgia, um, I mean, are you a barbecue so, or what are you, or more seafood since you're there in Savannah? We do. We don't do that much seafood. You know, I'm kind of, a, a, I'd say maybe a little bit of a picky seafood eater. Okay. Uh, so whenever we go out, she has to order seafood, but <laughs> um, I don't have one specialty. It's, I'm just kind of an obsessive person. So I've got a uni for Christmas. Uh, we had margarita pizza every weekend for like three months or so. Um, <laughs> okay. Got a smoker. We'd have you know we'd have barbecue every weekend. I'd, I'd master it, or what I think I you know I'd be happy with it, and then I'd move on to something else. Okay. Um, so it's it's a curse, but that's my personality type. So I really don't have a specialty, but cook a lot of Asian food, um, a lot of barbecue, that sort of thing. It's funny. I think we kind of fall in the same wheelhouse. It must be like an accountant thing to have this. There's obs- something there for this, sure. Uh, this obsessive idea that we. Ha- must if we get something we must try to master it and and be yep what we think is the best at it what you're looking at me why well <laughs> last one it was like all these shakers for cocktails trying to develop uh, all these different yes. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah yeah it's a yeah it's it, it's an obsessive personality i, I only I see it because it he is. sends it to the brewery and not to his own house so I'm sure his wife, when he gets home, sees all this shit, and she's like, where the fuck did this appear tell, out of? Like, tell where? us about the shakers, John. <laughs> no, it's more of uh, uh, it was definitely different shakers, yes. Like, there's different styles of shakers. I mean, ones that, like, the ones where you press into each other, and that's the way it closes, versus ones that's more like just a press top, and they don't fit inside each other, and then it's obviously the ice cube molds. And then really it was more of a fashion of getting into making cocktails <laughs> and using, you know, different, you know, cause I've been the, on a different two cups is definitely the way to go. Absolutely. With strainer. Absolutely. Yeah. With the strainer or do you start in a, a large <laughs> glass with ice cubes and stir versus shake? I mean, it's it mixing depends. glass. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, it really depends on the cocktail style. So, I mean, yes, it became obsessive. <laughs> so, I learned something about shakers today. Yeah. yeah. So can you guys describe Savannah Starland district to us? Yeah. Yeah, it's um so the Starland district is where I've, you know, pretty much lived throughout my entire time in college and it is it's a really special hub in Savannah because it's really close to downtown so we still get, you know, a good mix of tourists, but it really is one of the only areas in Savannah that is totally just mom and pop local businesses. We have, you know, we always joke we have one Popeyes across the, the street from the brewery and that's <laughs> right. our one chain restaurant. Every other business in this neighborhood is a local business. You know, it's the one area of town there's more just like really cool graffiti all over the place, tons of murals. Um, it's mostly students and it's also a mixed use neighborhood. So, you know, we have a woman who's 
who just lives in her home right across the street from the brewery. But then it's it's all kind of yeah mixed use, residential um, oh, nice. and commercial. But what I love about it most, like I said, is the fact that it is all local businesses. Right. right. Yeah. It's like Savannah's Winwood, I would, I would say. Yeah. I mean, and I hope you guys keep it that way because really it's been more of a push, obviously, with the way things are going nowadays. I mean, it's more and more overdeveloped, overdeveloped, but more yep. franchise, more crap coming in versus the mom and pops that are kind of hanging on trying to hang on to still be like here. us mm-hmm. we're yeah. the only brewery that is still independently owned in the neighborhood and like dogfish is closing well dogfish closed oh but, wow so yeah. for us that's like holy shit if dogfish yeah, is closing well, yeah I'm, things have definitely changed in the neighborhood just in the last 10 yeah. years since i've been here um you know we are still the only brewery in the starland district um there's supposed to be one opening a few blocks away I think after the new year, which will be, you know, really great. I think what we're one of six breweries just in Savannah right now. Um, so the, the craft beer scene is definitely interesting in town. Nice. Um, but yeah, we've just seen a, a huge influx in, in new business in this neighborhood. And I know, you know, the same thing, all the locals are kind of trying to hang on and protect the neighborhood. And we have a really good neighborhood association too, which has been helpful. Mm-hmm. So when I've been back up there, like where are you? Go- so I think I stay at the Bohemian where are you where you all school yeah, you, yeah. Oh, so that's where you said yeah yep. um where are y'all located the from there a mile and a half south okay so savannah's right. kind of a, a north uh oriented city yes it um, is. The savannah river being on the very north of it yep. uh, if you just head straight south you'll go through for side park uh and then you'll pretty much hit the brewery a mile mile and a half from from downtown it's uh, like okay. Liz said it's a pretty small town oh. and we're right next to downtown so you guys are actually located in an old house at 12 west 41st street can you kind of describe the space yeah it's it's a extremely unique space that we realize every day how fortunate more and more every day how, how fortunate we were to have found this place it was quite literally the only lease like even residential or commercial because this was part residential upstairs it was the only lease in this entire neighborhood up for rent when we were trying to start the brewery and get something nailed down um and we just somehow made it work, you know. It's the so the story is the old Starlin Dairy is right next door. And that's um that was like a horse drawn milk delivery through the the teens all the way up to the eighties or something like wow. that. Wow. Okay. And this building was acquired by them. It used to be a house up and down. This building was acquired by them. The bottom floor was uh, kind of demoed and uh, center block CMU walls put in place, and it was it's five or six individual units of concrete floors. Um, kind of a perfect um, blank slate for industrial use like a brewery. And the upstairs was, I mean, a rotating SCAD dormitory housing almost for up until we we rented it. Oh, uh, sorry, backing up before that, it was the uh, the manager's residence of the dairy back in the day. Okay. Before it turned into that uh, just apartment use. Yeah, I always call it, you know, the Wizard of Oz house. It looks like the second floor, you just kind of just fell on top of the first floor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so it's just super... Yeah, it's just, yeah, like I said, we're so lucky that, you know, our, the way that our building looks has become so much of our brand, um, which is really interesting because like James said, it was the only place for rent. We, you know, with our first just business venture, we didn't have any money. So we, we when we're trying to like decide how we're going to treat this apartment upstairs as a tap room, like it was an apartment, there's a bathtub still in one of the bathrooms in the tap room. Like, you know, it's oh, like, we didn't awesome. have like, okay, it's not worth our time to try to knock down all these walls. So we're right. just going to make this work for us. Like we painted all the walls. We put, you know, some of the rooms have couches, built the bar. Yeah. We built the bar ourselves, oh, which, you know, right. five years into it now, looking back, there's definitely some things I would, we would have done differently, you know, to, just with the experience we've gained. But overall, we're just, we're, like I said, we're still just so fortunate that people like what we envisioned when really it, it in the very beginning felt like a lot of scrambling or a lot of just like rolling with the punches. Um, but not, you know, yeah. not to discredit us. It was the only thing released, but we had the creativity, I think, and the yeah. imagination to to put it together as a brewery. You Absolutely. know, when our landlords doubted us and it was months after we had opened up and they came to us and were like, oh, we had you guys pegged all wrong. This is a really cool concept, you know. Um, so we, we made it work. Uh, yeah, it really just, it just feels like a house party upstairs. You know, we get people coming in, you know, every so often saying like, man, yeah, my college buddy lived up here and we went to parties here all the time. And now we're drinking beer in here again, or, you know, cool. yeah. People telling us they, that was their apartment and they lived there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So it's really cool. Yes. Yeah, lots of stories. So what was your, uh, original brewing setup like? 
what was the original Brogue setup, or we're still kind of on it. We're actually in the process of upgrading, uh, hopefully to a 10 barrel system. Um, but we are still on our, it's really a four barrel system from okay. stout electric system. Okay. Um, pretty much like Liz was saying, it's a very budget, budget forward system. Um, and we have, I think, you know, about 70, 80 barrels of fermentation capacity between seven or eight, eight barrel tanks and a couple 12 barrels. Um, so it's a lot of cooking for 1300, 1400 barrels a year that we're doing. Yeah. Um, so I think we're about to, to upgrade our, our brew house and meeting with our general contractor today to look at just the floor print increase. Cause we're already, I mean, already crawling over everything in here, you know, we right. ran out of space a long time ago. So, um, that's, that's the plan is to upgrade to a, a 10 barrel. Oh, very nice. soon here this nice. year, I guess next year. How do you, uh, talking about budget, how, how did you guys go about financing the project? So we have, I would imagine most cities um, have uh, something similar. I'm not really sure, but we went to our local SBA, SBAC, and they are, especially with something, I guess breweries are a little less risky, but with something like a restaurant service industry, a lot of times they're your only resource for money uh, because traditional banks just do not want to lend on startups. You know, if we right. were to approach them today to open a restaurant, just being a CPA and uh, uh, working in advertising, uh, it probably wouldn't be possible. Um, right. Maybe not even through the SBA. But that was who gave us gave us our shot. And you know, it was a very it was a pretty small loan that we that we got from the from the beginning. But um, we owe our our lending to the SBA in Savannah for sure. Nice, nice. So during this opening, what? What was the beer that kind of sparked the movement to kind of get you guys off the ground in Savannah? What do you think was the beer that kind of resonated with your customers that kind of launched you guys? Oh man, you know, I don't, I don't really think it was a beer as much as it was our total package brand. You know, okay. our building, our artwork, um, the people. Um, There's definitely a few beers that stand out to me that definitely got a lot of attention, and then I noticed like more and more people and tourists traveling to town that said like. Oh, I saw this on Instagram. What is this? Like one of those is the the cheesecake beer we do, like the how much cheese is too much cheese. I think <laughs> right. um, that, you know, later on when we started doing kind of funky stuff like that, that no one in, else in Savannah was doing, that's definitely where I noticed people just kind of coming in and asking mm-hmm. for those products. But I would say being in, in Savannah, it was a really interesting opportunity from the very beginning because with so few craft breweries, there was just we were able to introduce our customers to just a so super wide range of beer that they had never even had before. Because right. uh, while all the other breweries are really great at what they do, everyone kind of stays in their own lane. Um, so there was there was no one doing like crazy fruited sours, really no one doing hazy IPAs, even mm-hmm. if not just for kind of like very spare one off because there are these huge yeah thirty barrel distribution groups. focused right. breweries. Right. So it's we were um, yeah able to just kind of make our mark on. In, on Savannah in that way by just offering something really different at the time, which was just, yeah, right place, right time. Um, yeah. Yep. I didn't want to say that. No, we have a couple of house beers, you know, six foot IPA. We distribute the most of that. Um, but you know, not that much in the grand scheme, but people know us for that beer for sure. And chromatose, that was our first like house blackberry sour, um, that has since changed to chroma blue because blackberry prices. Am I right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, but yeah, yes. We've, we've got a couple We've got a couple house beers that people know us for. And then, like Liz was saying, the crazy ones, the Cheesecake Sours, the, the Blue Raspberry, whatever, you know. Yeah, and we have some core beers, too, that have been on from the very beginning that people, I think, really resonate with them. Just like to have that consistency. Yeah. That's been helpful, too. Was that kind of your homebrew style when you were um, homebrewing, that you kind of like to run the gamut of, of different styles and messing with different ingredients and stuff like that? Or I'm, I'm trying to think, but no. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure in those, like, it was like eight, eight years or so, nine years of weekend warrior home brewing before we opened the brewery. And I'm pretty sure it was one a month, uh, two a month, hazy IPA the entire time throughout that. Never the same grain bill, never the same hops. Um, ne- I didn't, I think I duplicated one beer twice, the Lizzie, Lizzie P pale. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And that was it. <laughs> Everything else was, yeah, that's nice. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh that was it though i mean i i just brewed different beers every every other weekend nice. never the same and that, that's just the obsessive obsessive nature coming out right no, I, which yeah. i mean that's, that's how it. it is now yeah i mean we like we said we have our core beers but we're brewing different stuff all the time and it, it did you know not in a bad way it took james a very long time to like 
look at our house IPA, I think, and be like truly happy with that product and oh, not want to adjust. So you probably not. St- uh, probably oh, yeah, still, still not, not still not right. wanting to make you know like those finite changes to the grain bill or you know what constantly just reviewing and tweaking and growing yep. in that way. I, I was going to ask like how 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 do you think your beer offerings have changed since the beginning? I think we've widened out a little bit. You know, we do a fair amount more lager styles now. Like we're doing a oatmeal stout next weekend. I want to say. Um, we're starting to dabble in some more classics too, but on the whole, you know, especially two years ago, I'd say you come in here, you're going to find six hazy IPAs. You're going to find six sours, two or three lagers, two or three dark beers, right. and maybe some wild beers. You know, we dabble in some wild beers that slowed down a little bit, maybe over the past couple of years, but, uh, we kind of, like Liz was saying, we stay in our lane. Those were kind of right. the four, right. um, categories we typically would stay into and we pepper in, um, we're doing an amber lager today, um, we're, we do a black lager we, that's on right now, oatmeal style, like I was saying. So we we do a little bit of everything, but uh, we kind of have our, our You have your niche. Milieu. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would say the one just thing I've seen change is just the amount of wild beers. Um, it's gone down. You know, we reduced, you know, that's my favorite yeah. kind of style. Right. Um, so we've still, you know, we still release those a few times throughout the year, yeah. but that's probably been the, one of the biggest changes is the amount. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't think that's just released. you guys. I think that's everybody. That yeah. I've seen no, across still, I mean, the industry. I feel like we've just slowed production of them for whatever reason, but being that we don't do so much, you know, we probably do two to four physical barrels per year. Right. And um, it sells pretty well in the tap room. Yeah, yeah, it still does. Well, I think, you know, especially during COVID too, you, no one wanted to, you know, you didn't want to buy a bunch of ingredients when you didn't know what was going to happen with shutdowns to have something sit in a barrel for two or three exactly. years. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you like know, pivoting up. to more of those like quick, fun releases. And I think that kind of just, we kept that traction going for a little bit. And I think, you know, wild mixed culture, just barrel aged stuff is kind of where our passion is, you know, underneath everything. So that's, we still like to keep those around for our, you know, soul. I was of course. Yeah. Of yeah. course. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what does your distribution model look like? Like where can people find your beers beyond the tap room? Yeah. So we, um, you know, we don't distribute a, a whole lot. But most of our beer stays in Georgia. Um, we just sent a pallet to Florida nice. to our buddies at Sunshine. All right. And we uh, we really just pepper, up, I'd say, about one pallet per cans a month um, along the East Coast. Um, we send, we've sent one pallet to uh, Europe. We've sent, in, in four years, we sent one pallet to China. Um, <laughs> nice. What's up, what's up, Felix? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and... That's about it. You know, we, we, we keep it mostly local for sure. Local nice. bars, restaurants, um, not many package shops locally. I would say there's quite a, a few in Atlanta, maybe like Hop City, yeah. uh, a couple right. of our friends okay. up there. Um, but it's uh, mostly a, a keg draft kind of game around town. Nice, nice. So I got, I got one final question for the both of you guys. What advice would you give a young couple like you were one that has a dream to start a business, maybe that might be a little hesitant to give up the comfort and security of well-paying jobs and careers that they went to school for to start something brand new. My, my advice is pretty simple. It's just follow your passion. You're going to enjoy your life most and you're going to be successful the most at something you enjoy. Um, Maybe within reason that maybe the the parent coming out of me, but right. but yeah, you know, do what you do, what you love and you'll make a living. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. And that being too, I would say it definitely helps to find something where you can use still somewhat utilize the skills that you went to school for the skills that you just have a really good foundation on, you know, like, you know, how I still handle like all the marketing for the brewery and James does still do, you know, our accounting work. So we're able to still use those skills to create a good foundation for the business. Um, but man, I, th- you know, one of the big things for me when we decided to finally take the plunge was, you know, if, the way the craft beer industry is going and the way the Starland district is growing, if we don't do it in this neighborhood, someone someone else else is going to do it. And we're going to have to drive by this building every single day, going to our nine to five and just saying like, you know, man, like we should have, we should have done that. And so it's, you know, we were kind of, I say like young and dumb was kind of in our, our benefit there, but you know, we're young enough to be able to financially recover, you know, something (laughs) went wrong. We didn't have kids at the time. I think it's definitely still possible if you have children too, it's just takes a little bit more time management and, you know, trading off and things like that. But that was the big one for me. It's like, yeah, if you don't do it, someone else will, or you're, yeah, you're going to think about it every day. Coulda, shoulda. Absolutely. Um, so that's kind of how we've, how we've kind of run our lives since even opening it and just with new projects and new ventures. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Yeah. Thank you guys very much for joining us today. This has been uh, awesome, and it's uh, we, we definitely need to our pleasure. Yeah, finally wish, get up there. Well, yeah, yeah. finally get up there and, yeah. and brew with them when they come down for Wakefest. Yes, absolutely. We'll do something. Right. I mean, we'll bring out the, the little printout we have of you. I think that's still hanging on the wall somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, <that's> <laughs> ah, I know. Yes, I, mean, I think yes. we grab it for this. We, yeah, yes. we should. We'll Actually, have- I love Savannah, and I've been trying to drag her up there because well, you were there at sixteen, but I wanted to come through you guys and obviously into uh, Charleston because I love that kind of corridor there. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get it. It's you know, it's hard to step away when you're yeah, you're running a business like this, yeah. like y'all's day to day. And the tough, kids. So. Right. I got. Oh th- yeah, the I got kid. That's kids. added. Yeah. Added and the kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but thank you all very much. Thank this has you. been great, and uh, thank you very much for your thank time. Thank you guys. We'll see you yeah. soon. Yeah. See you guys. You're listening to the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture. Our next guest is an acclaimed visual artist who has garnered international recognition for his work. He was born in Colombia, but is now based in Miami. His charcoal drawings have been described by the art media as defiant and elegiac, offering viewers surreal and often disquieting visions. He's here to give us perspective on his own journey as a successful artist, the ever-changing business of art, and some insight into Art Week Miami, which is happening right now in our hometown. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Gonzalo Fuenmayor. Thank you very much for joining us today in the tap room. Thank you. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you here actually during Basel. It's a crazy time around here. <laughs> it is indeed. So let's, uh, let's kind of jump into this. So where did, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? So I grew up in, um, in Colombia. Okay. Um, I went to school in Colombia in and Berlin, and I'm from Barranquilla. 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 Okay. La Costa. La He's costa. Costeño. Costeño. Okay. There you go. Correct. Okay. Uh, so I lived all my life in, in Barranquilla. Um, and then um, my both my parents are chemical engineers. Oh, wow. Okay. And I've, I'm the first of, of three brothers. So I was the example uh, I was good grades, good kid, you know. Right. And then I, I went for, um, I wanted to do advertising when okay. I was growing up. Like, I wanted to draw. I think at the time you had like Coca-Cola ads and stuff and the bears. So I wanted to be like the creative side of advertising. Okay. And um, so my dad came along a little bit worried, like, wouldn't you consider uh, going for business and then... Down the line, you go for marketing, and then, you know, you can specialize in advertising. I said, that, I mean, obviously, he's a methodic thinker. Right, of course. Uh, That sounds very logical. I'm going to pursue that. I'm going to follow that advice. So I went for business in Bogota. Um, I had no, I mean, I always had this inclination for arts or writing. And then uh, I went through what? almost three years of advertising of, of business uh, and I was acing it but I was uh, sad and depressed. bored out of your mind oh my god <laughs> so and I've you know I was like yeah. so lonely and so so heartbroken so right, yeah. and um, I decided to come out of the closet per se like that I'm an artist I want to create create uh, but at what age did you kind of realize you had a talent for art you know, I drew throughout all my life uh, as a kid, uh, and they fostered like creativity. Of course, but it was like under mine. It was like, oh, this is a hobby. So oh, let's let's course. let's get you uh, yeah. colored pencils <laughs> and brushes, and that's all fine and dandy. But uh, we you you have to go to school something that where right. you can make there, a living. There wasn't a whole lot of belief or push behind being an artist. Correct. It's a it's a uh, very typical way of like a, a Latino or Asian like background, like for your parents to always be like, no, you have to study business. You have to study engineering, you know, all these different things. Ma- mathematics. Like yeah, my mom like yeah, did the same thing well, with me. I mean, listen, I, they, your parents saw it more of a passion and not as a job. Absolutely. So you turned it obviously into a job, into a passion. I mean, it was your passion that you turned into a job. Well, I, I, I taught myself to um, get that passion and somehow foster it in a, in a way that I could make a living and be happy and, and show that this is my thing and it's okay that this was my thing. 
When did you leave Colombia for the U.S.? So I I um, I left Colombia January 1998. Oh, really? Was your family kind of backing this whole thing at that point then? Sort of. <laughs> I it was it was tough for them because they they had no idea how how to think of artists. Well, I, it's the same thing for me because I had to go through a whole approval process. And, you know, it was like I was working accounting. I was working at the family business. And it was like, oh, you'll take over this one day. And I really just had no desire to do that. And it's yeah. like I want to open a brewery. It was a hobby, and it was something that turned into a passion. It was like, you know, I enjoyed cooking and brewing. But I really got into brewing and got more noticed for that. And I was like, you know what, I, I want to get this. And my dad's like, well, if you want to do this, then you need to go work, you know, at a brewery quit your job and start at the bottom and yeah, learn all yeah, this yeah. and and let's see that'll break you and you won't won't want to do that anymore well it had the opposite effect exactly and i wanted to open and we ended up doing this but they had no idea what this was yeah. and it's just like you know kind of have to have faith in what you know absolutely. that is absolutely yeah well for me for me it was um a process of uh for them i mean i'm a parent of of uh, of two two boys and the way I see it is if, if one of my kids asks me if they want to be a YouTuber at this moment, <laughs> right. I would definitely encourage them to, oh, what about communication? And right, then, yeah, yeah. you know, you can specialize in right. whatever, whatever. A TikToker, YouTuber, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, rather than being like only staying in your sofa right, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right, of course. Um, so it was, a, it was a challenging time for me, for them, and... I was happy, and that that made sense. When when along the line did you find your medium of mm-hmm. art? Medium like meaning? like your like your you know because it's obviously your you use charcoal, correct? When did you find that as that was your going to be your route or that was going to be your expression? Correct. So so you know I have to say that when I went to art school, I felt the pressure to show some cap. KPIs of right. like oh this is uh the ROI is 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 this <laughs> I am I am making paintings I am you know I was putting extra pressure and I think that in order to and I guess like beer or wine you need time you need yes, time to 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 settle in to understand the medium understand what you're doing what are you right. trying to 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 speak of and so forth so uh, after New York City I sort of I looking back I rushed through my my undergrad okay. um, years, just trying to prove myself, uh, and then I went for a master's as well. Oh, really? Uh, in Boston, and okay. uh, so I you have a in, master's in visual in, arts. In visual arts as well. Wow. Okay. So yeah, it's all these approval. All this uh, paper. You all have all this, this paper, paper. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> to prove that I'm good at what that this is my guy. You're worthy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But then after grad school, you have to go through a detox process where you have to realize that everything that you've learned is, is crap. Not real. Not real. Exactly. And you have to find your, your true voice. Yes. So when I was in, in grad school, I was among the only Latino students. Um, and there was this expectation of, of a performance of this Latinness. Uh-huh. Which meant, oh, you're a painter from the Caribbean, therefore you must must be like happy, bright colors, right. palm trees, <laughs> you know. Uh, yes, very colorful, very expressive, very loud. There you uh, go. Yeah. Oh, you're from Colombia as well. So on top of that, you also have maybe some Garcia Marquez, uh, maybe some magic realism, or maybe. Um, you can address the politics around Colombia. Uh, we've also heard, you know, like about the 10,000 hour rule mm-hmm. that, you know, it takes 10,000 hours to master a craft. I mean, I, I'd probably say yes. <laughs> you know? Where do you come down on that in relation to drawing or painting? I've, I think that uh, I have more than 10,000 10, hours. I know. I would, uh, I would assume so. I assume so. I mean, I can't even, I don't even know here. (laughs) Yeah, I think that, as I said, I think time, pressure, and discipline uh, do wonders. Yeah. And and that's hard. That's hard to to keep the stamina to keep at something for so long. So you went to charcoal because of obviously 
money reasons and like budget reasons. Mm-hmm. But why stick with that? Um, well, not only for money reasons. Right. I, I had this whole idea of uh, trying to defy the expectations of color from my Latin background. Ah, so, so you're that, going against the grain. Trying to. <laughs> okay. I'm, 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 okay. I'm trying to. So not only for the practical reason, but also because there was a conceptual idea behind the use of only black and white. And there's a whole history of artists who only draw or paint on black and white. The way I've been trying to um, pursue this creative dialogue is by expanding uh, the scope of these drawings. And they're like large scale. They're like 12 feet by 8 feet. Yeah, I mean... They feel like paintings, not like drawings. Drawings. I mean, that's actually a huge drawing. It is. I mean, versus a painting. You know what I mean? That's massive. It is. It is massive. So it's usually drawing used to be um, the little brother of painting. Like, okay, let me do a sketch. And then when the sketch is satisfied, then you can go on and grow into a painting. Here, the drawing itself is what matters. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, this is far from what you do, obviously. But like, you know, I'm in the comic books and had sketches done but when these guys work it's on an 11 by 17 or something of that size it's nothing 12 feet it's not grand scale to me that's that's massive for drawing well it is massive but also because i want to include every single part of my body when making an artwork okay because i want the viewer to also experience a physical interaction with the with the image and the object of course you want them to have a feeling off off of the painting Or I'm sorry, off the drawing. Yes, okay. Can I ask about like the process of when you have the inspiration to to draw what you do? Is it where you're there, you know, days on end, uh, you know, just surviving on coffee and water? Like, what what's the musical? Is there music going on? What what is the process like? She wants to know the background behind what you're going through while you're doing this to keep you going because you know. I, I've been doing this for eight years and I feel like there are certain waves of like creativity where you feel ultra creative and then there's other points where you look for that inspiration for creativity. So I imagine obviously it, it could be the same for an artist. Well, Maria, I, I have to say that's that's uh that's very romantic. That's a very romantic view of, of, <laughs> of artists. Uh, right. You're, you're in your, your studio and you have classical music playing or something to help grow this image of what you want to paint. It could be really angry metal no, music. I, 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 too, many, too many movies. Oh, like whatever. Many Listen, movies. I like to have the pretty <laughs> no, side. Absolutely. You know? His boys are behind him erasing whatenever he <laughs> yeah. draws. That's the reality yeah. <laughs> of his life. It is. You know, it's um, by saying this, I'm the least romantic like artist there is because I, I, I drop my kids at school. I oh. go to the studio. It's silent. Um, it's a mess. Um, and I try to be as creative as I want. Um, but I'm working. I'm there, like, putting the 10,000 hours in. Yeah. If by any chance something amazing happens, uh, it's, it's, so, it's, wel- it's welcome. I mean, so, but so that's you, a process too, though. Yeah, but you work yeah. in silence. I mean, some people do work better in silence. Yeah. So. Oh, no. I work in silence. I work with music. Sometimes I get too excited with music. And uh, audio books. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I, yeah, so it's, it's like a mix. Okay. But there's no, like, epiphany moment. Like, uh, the, 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 the artist uh, in front of a white piece of paper and then, aha. Uh-huh, yeah. Eureka, uh, I'm yeah. going to do this. and somehow Some, some, some line from a song hits you and it's just... Phew. I'm yeah. not that kind of an artist because charcoal is very... I mean, you, it's so messy. So I have to think like, okay. Uh, and the way I, I, I work um, is everything that you see white on my drawings is the white of the paper. So I have to stain everything around it to have it seem as light. To, to give it expression. To right? give... That sense of atmosphere right, within, right. within. So I'm working backwards, meaning I have to plan ahead what should be kept white and what should be kept black. And then I work from left to right so my hand doesn't smudge as I, I, as I draw. So there's like all these like uh, methodic... He's a righty. He's a righty. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
Clearly, uh, you would not be able to use charcoal. No, I'd have to go right to left. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to go right to left. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which I think would work for, since in a different side of the brain. Yes. It is. It is. <laughs> so, uh, supposedly, lefties are connected with that right side of the brain, which is... More artistic. More artistic. More, right, I know. I've heard that my whole life. I don't know if that's true, but... <laughs> Supposedly. John can draw. That's a fun fact that yeah. not a lot of people know. I love to draw. He can I draw. Done, I do. There, there I've been drawing go. since, like, middle school. I just never pursued that. Yeah, you know? yeah my, my dad was like, you know, because I wanted to draw comic books and stuff like that, and he's like, no, that's a waste of time. <laughs> yeah. Since we are on the business channel, can you... Kind of give me a brief explanation of how the art business works. We'll, we'll kind of keep NFTs off to the side for right now for a moment. Do you use an agent or develop relationships with galleries yourself? Like, how does it all work? So, um, okay, how it all works. It's, it's um, so the ecosystem right. of the art market is you have the artist, mm-hmm. you have curators, you have gallerists, right. you have art critics, right. and you have the collectors. Right. So those are the five um, branches, key, key players. Yeah, yeah. As an artist, uh, and this is very traditional. This is all changing as we speak oh, with yes. Instagram, yeah. with... Well, you know, I, mean, I can give you a prime example. I mean, we used to have 10 art galleries on the street. Yeah. When we first opened, there, and were, they left. there were 10 art galleries. Yeah. They're not around anymore. Yeah, there used to be second Saturdays, and I yeah. would stroll, and yeah. I had my studio like in 20th and Northwest right. Court. You know. And it was like chickens running around, and, and then the, the food trucks came in, came in, and the whole landscape completely changed. changed. And yeah. everyone moved out. Yep. Um, so traditionally, you have an artist, and then you have... Uh, imagine an artist as a, as a chair, and you have okay. three three or four um, legs to that okay. chair. You have the gallery, right. the curator, the art collector, and the critic. Okay. So somehow having relationships with all th- those four parts, the art can grow, gain value, and so forth. So as an artist, you if I have a gallery and I have four galleries who push my work, uh, there's a commission of 50%. Oh, wow. So we are partners. Uh, they promote my, my work, they wow. hang uh, my work, right. they frame it, they have conversations with curators to uh, place the work in, in, in uh, specific locations that may add value, be it museums, uh, organizations, and so forth. You have the art critic who um, sees the artwork and says, oh, this is worthy or it's not worthy. And you have the collector right. who buys the work says this has value and I'm going to make an investment in this. And so, and, and so it's a spiral of all these relationships that grow over time right. and eventually, um, hopefully, you can make a living out of it. Right. Something I still haven't wrapped my brain around. Obviously, I'm probably giving away like my age, but like the NFTs, non-fundable tokens, like I know that's changed the art scene. Uh, onto a different whole different level especially over the past couple of years you know and then about a year ago the merge sold for 91.8 million dollars to like 28,000 uh collectors it is selling a multi-million dollar nft the holy grail for visual artists these days i don't think so yeah i, I think that's a select market it is yeah it is and, and there's so many like i mean that that the merge obviously is a different piece, but then you get the the monkeys and you get this and the lions and that. And to me, it's just, I, I don't want to say crew, but it sounds like a cash grab mm-hmm. from a lot of different people. I mean, I think, do you think it does more dishonor to real artists like yourself that have been grinding all this time? Uh, no, I think that I, I, I welcome all these. It's, if you go back, it will be the same conversation painters were having with photographers ah like oh art is only taking you know having a machine and the machine take an image and then reproduce it and that somehow is more worthy than me going to the studio thousands of hours thousands and hours is this and then time went by and then oh art is uh, photography is an art it's an art um so 
I welcome all these expressions uh, right. of different ways of experiencing the world. Right. And somehow it's all going to be a full circle where everyone's going to learn from each other. So, so I, I mean, I, it's not my thing, but right, right. I welcome the, the conversation right. around it. So it might be, in a way, helping art as a total. Absolutely. Yeah. Like everything, everyone should have access to art right. in, in, in the way they seem that seems fit for their personality. Right, like to you, your own. For me, it's... Yeah, comics. S- comics and sketches done. You know, there, that, to me, that's go. my, you know, that's me. But to somebody else, it would be charcoal. I mean, I, your work is amazing. I mean, but to somebody else, it's an oil painting or watercolor or, Absolutely. you know what I mean? So. And possibly my kids or your kids or their grandkids will be, you know what, instead of having static... Like objects on right. the wall. It'll be an NFT on the on the web. You have a, well, you have a art on your phone oh, or yeah. a TV screen where you can like flip and yeah. have different artists. Right. Yeah. So yeah. to each their own. Yeah. Here's a question for you: What is Art Week, Miami, and why is it so important to the world? Basically. Wow, uh, Art Week in Miami. It's like the craziest. It's uh, like the Super Bowl for art. It is the Super Bowl for art. Or World Cup. <laughs> right um, now. I guess for artists, uh, when I was, I came, I've been living in Miami for 15 years. And everyone worked towards the first week of December every single year. Um, it's an opportunity <laughs> where collectors, uh, where the whole environment, the whole ecosystem comes together. And everyone has access to see the most art possible in a in a five days or so. Right. And in Miami, it moves the economy in surprisingly yes. creative ways. So the whole city is like, you know, making events, thinking about art, talking about art, what do they buy, what do they sell. Yeah. So it comes together. I think it, it, it blossoms um, and makes the city more dynamic. We're talking about a platano with the, with the duct tape. Oh, that's, I was just, even if it's a banana with duct tape on it, yeah. that sells for $140,000 or whatever it was. Yeah, but, but um, besides the fact that you have, like, the fact that you're talking about what art is right. and what art yes. is not and who has a say in what art is it's or a, is it's, not. It's a positive movement. It's, it's positive. Like, good or bad press doesn't matter. They're still talking about it. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's uh, like the artist who made it. And then I, I, I was there when, when a performance artist took it off and, and peeled it and ate it. That makes you wonder about the possibilities of art right. and as a way to connect people together, right. which I, I think it's wonderful. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I think we're hoping for this art week to be reminiscent of 17, 18, 19, obviously, because the last two years, obviously, yeah. we're not. But I think... We're starting to see that. Obviously, I see it with the traffic and everything, all this <laughs> craziness that's going on. Yeah. <clears throat> but I mean, for me, Art Week in Wynwood, since we've been here eight years, has definitely changed. Because when we first started, it was very gritty, grimy, street art, graffiti, 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 because that's the neighborhood we were in. Yeah. And now we obviously have a ton of high rises and stuff, and it's kind of moved away from that. To me, it's kind of. Kind of taking the soul out of Winwood yep. for the art, but I mean, what are your thoughts on that? On what specifically? On, on I mean, the like, I mean, do you th- yeah, the nature of this movement of this art week. I mean, especially here in Winwood, I think it's yeah. changed for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, I used to live to have a studio down the down right. the street for ten years. Right. And the whole neighborhood has changed dramatically yes. in such a short span of time. Right. So um, the purists have moved away. Yes. And then yes. you have the high rises. Right. And you have commerce and you have right. a, a high-end, uh, um, you know, uh, fashion stores and so forth. Um, I don't know. I think it's part of the process. Yeah, of growing. Of growing and yeah. then each one figuring out, okay, you know, uh, maybe Wynwood is not Okay, for me, I have to move to Little Haiti, right? Yeah, or to some other place that right. makes sense, Alapata. Right. That you find that grit, and yeah. then it's gonna happen. Move once, there once right. again. Yeah, because it used to be, if I had a wall, 
there were dudes from all over the world that would come. I mean, men, women, whatever. Hey, you got a wall I could use? I'll paint for free. <laughs> exactly. I'll paint for free. I'll paint for free. Well, that's gone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And now it's yeah. like, oh, you want your wall painted? Well, that's fine. I, I, yeah. I don't mind paying for amazing art, yeah. you know, because that's what that is. But it, it's definitely changed because, like, those, those guys don't come around anymore. No. Yeah, it's moved to Alapata or Little Haiti or, you know, somewhere else. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely changed. For sure. So can you tell our listeners about the show that you are doing this week? So um, I have a show currently up at Dot 51 Gallery, okay. which is in Little River. Okay. who used to be in yes. uh, Wynwood yep. At, yep. at some point. Um, and it's a two-person show, me and Marcos Castro. It's called uh, Tremors in Paradise. Oh, okay. And it's um, a collaboration between us both. So it's going to be open from now until January 22nd. Oh, so very nice. if you have a chance to check it out, please do. Okay. Last question really for you is, like we ask this question often on the beer hour, what advice would you give someone who has a talent, a passion for a creative endeavor, but is afraid to leave the security or you know, <laughs> hearing that background noise from the parents of a good paying job? Uh, to take the risk, to um, to uh, build the courage uh, to try something new. Um, it's super scary. It's always scary uh, because the opportunity cost is so high. Oh, yeah. Um, but there's a time and a place for everything. So if and it, I think one of the hardest thing to realize is to find each one's ikigai. So space yeah. where something that you're good at, you like, you enjoy, you can perform in a manner that seems organic. And the, the, the sooner you realize if you, uh, what that is, the better, right. the better chance you have. I think it's harder to ask someone who has been in corporate for 40 years to go back and, be, and do something, something different. Something else, yeah. Um, but definitely courage. Okay. I can I can respect that. I mean, I, it's definitely courage. I mean, taking that leap is not easy for everybody. Not easy. Yeah. And where can do you have a web address that our listeners can go and check your your work out at? Sure. So um, it's a www.gonzalofuenmayor, my whole name. Okay. Dot com or Instagram is gfuenmayor77. Okay. It, Maria, you want to give a spelling on that? <laughs> Gonzalo, G-O-N-Z-A-L-O, Fuemayor, F-U-E-N-M-A-Y-O-R. There you go. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank it's you, been John. a pleasure, and it's, uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Cheers. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Liz and James Massey, Gonzalo Fuemayor, our co-host Maria Cabre, our producer Rocco Riggio, and our editor Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. And remember, people, the thirst is real.